The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So good morning, everyone, and as I was at the beginning of the meditation, I feel quite happy to have this connection with so many people. In a certain way, I'm alone here at IMC, but I'm together with the whole world, and perhaps that's one of the perspectives about what to see, what's happening now in the world, is that many of us are alone in a certain way, maybe alone in our homes with the people who live there. Or some people have no, no one they're living with. There is a kind of quality of aloneness that many people have now in our sheltering at home lockdown that we have a huge majority of the people on the globe but uh, we're alone with others. We're alone with, we're sharing this amazing phenomena, amazing global event that in some ways seems unprecedented as something that we share together. Maybe the flu of 1918 was a shared event all over the world, but the degree to which we know each other and, and experience and have news and uh, about everyone and the way that we can have this YouTube connection to so many people. It's, um, uh, we are sharing in something on a huge, huge scale. And, um, you know, life has taken a dramatic turn. It reminds me of this saying that um, the difference between school and life, in life you get the test first. And so here we are, and a certain certainly it can be seen as a test, uh, or it could be seen as a new opportunity for, for care, for practice, for really um, looking and meeting at some of the deepest existential issues of human life and that we are doing this together in a large scale. It's uh, certainly a time for a lot of compassion and care. And um, I was thinking about now, much more than before, about the symbolism of, in Mahayana Buddhism, there's a great personification of compassion called Avalokiteshvara, Kuan Yin or Kannon, that um, um, the Bodhisattva of compassion, who sees the cries of the world, sees the suffering of the world, and the fact that she's kind of in the traditional language said to be the one who sees the suffering of the world, maybe is a little bit behind the choice by the Japanese camera maker to call their cameras Kannon, Canon. It, it's uh, named after the great personification of compassion. And, um, and think about one of the imagery, symbol, symbolic imagery of Kanon, Avalokiteshvara, this being, is that uh, she has a thousand arms, a thousand hands, 
and each hand is an eye. And so she has a thousand eyes and a thousand hands. And in some uh, statues, each hand has a different tool, implement. And the idea is that um, you need a thousand eyes, at least, to see all the different forms of ways human beings are challenged, all the different kinds of situations people are in. And you need a thousand um, hands to be able to care for that. And you need a thousand implements and tools to offer the right kind of care for all the different uh, ways in which people's human life is like. And the challenges that people are under these days are so multivaried. Uh, some people, um, and this, you know, getting a sense and kind of slowly kind of realizing that, um, that uh, you know, pretty much I think everyone that I know in some way or other is challenged in these days. And, um, and the challenge is kind of, you know, the, the, the knowledge of how many, wa- how many ways people are challenged these days is just growing. It's certainly obvious that uh, in the United States and I think around the globe, uh, the uh, medical profession is challenged. Hospitals are at the breaking point some places and uh, the medical staff are working overtime and to exhaustion and and uh, some of them are clearly uh, going into situations where their own health and maybe even their life is uh, at risk in very dramatic ways. And, and um, so it's a huge challenge. There are people who have, um, you know, losing their work and their finances and um, can't afford maybe rent. There's, I know people who didn't have housing when this whole thing began and now are scrambling to look for housing and not easy. And um, we have um, people who are home alone, maybe with kids. And it's a big challenge to take care. I just can't, you know, I, I raised two children. And when they were quite young, um, it was a cha- very, you know, had a lot of challenges. The, the amount of time it needed, the challenges of the kids and their energy and, and uh, at home and the, uh, to have this, you know, twenty-four-seven now, uh, I can imagine that it's huge challenges for some people uh, at home with children and being alone. And there are people who have illnesses of all kinds, different kinds of illnesses, that make them particularly susceptible to the coronavirus, and or you know, it's more dangerous for them. And um, and they have th- those challenges going on, and it just goes on. The list goes on and on. So what's called on for us is to be like Avalokiteshvara, to have a thousand arms, a thousand eyes, and a thousand implements, ways to care. To care in the ways that we can. Um, A neighbor yesterday came over with um, handmade uh, face masks that she'd made. And and that was very very touching and to to feel her care and that she brought it over to our house and for our family, and it's very nice. And other people also now are are uh, making face masks and offering them. And and I'm very touched by the people who have offered it to me and to IMC and to our retreat center, the staff that are there. Um, the um, And, you know, it's kind of a, a, a time of compassion, of care, that uh, 
is very unusual because uh, in terms of the virus itself, in terms of what everyone has to now deal with and worry with and prepare for and contend with it on this globe, um, it's not really a person or a people or a country that is the enemy. We have a very strong tendency, human beings, to make another and to push away and to close in and separate ourselves from others and blame others. And certainly some of that is happening for sure. But, um, but uh, it's very hard to see other people as the enemy uh, uh, in the causing this illness as being what we're contending with. We can't like point to... Um, uh, we certainly can point to people maybe in government who maybe are not been fast enough to take care of things or make choices maybe we don't agree with. So certainly we can kind of see that there are you know, human issues that need to be dealt with. But um, there's something about the shared nature of this kind of crisis where everyone is kind of facing the virus in a way where it's all shared. And, uh, and how do we open up all our hands, all our eyes? How do we open up our humanity so that our care, our compassion goes out in all directions to everyone? And one of the ways, I think, is to do self-care. I think of uh, the, um, you know, one of the ways to do self-care and care for others, care for the whole world, uh, is to use the basic practice of mindfulness as a way to take care of the different layers or different uh, dimensions of our life um, in a kind of little bit, can be even a systematic way where we, um, 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 you know, use the practice to really check in with ourselves in a deep way and see where does the care need to be? What needs our attention now? And often in, the, in our practice, at least, a mindfulness practice, uh, I think it's uh, we put a lot of emphasis on self-care as the foundation for the care for others, that we have more to offer others um, if we have... Uh, resolved some of our own tension and stress, if we're not as agitated, uh, if we're less agitated, if we have some calm, if we've been able to work through and come to the other side of some of our suffering, then we have so much more to offer the world. We have, to, we have, to, uh, we have an embodiment and a modeling and understanding of how to live without agitation, how to live without stress, how to live without suffering. And that understanding is so important because then we're less likely to perpetuate stress and suffering and agitation in the world. If we're caught in the grip of fear, then uh, that's the model, modeling of what we show other people. And it's contagious. Fear is contagious. Certainly it's you know, e- easy to be afraid now, but to have enough presence and practice with fear so that uh, we can stay calm enough, even with our fear, that we don't kind of spread fear into the society and the world. To have been able to resolve and work through and understood the dynamics of anger or frustration or hatred in ourselves, so that doesn't spill over into the world. To be able to to know how to uh, calm ourselves when we're agitated, so when we go out into the world uh, or, you know, have contact with people, that uh, what we offer is a calm presence and 
non-anxious presence. So the, uh, you know, to use the mindfulness as a checklist can be done like this. That um, the way that we often teach the mindfulness practice here at IMC is uh, we do it systematically, first with breathing, posture and breathing, then with uh, mindfulness of the body, then mindfulness of emotions, and then mindfulness of thinking. There's more to be aware of for sure, but um, as a, as a uh, checklist for checking in with yourself, this is a very, can be very effective. That um, what is your posture? In your, when, are you tense? Are you slumped over? Are you collapsed? Are you overly rigid? Are you somehow turning away physically from the world? Um, can you find a posture uh, that represents some way that you care appropriately for yourself, that you're not collapsing, that you're not falling into lethargy, you're not overly tense, you're not uh, uh, grasping your hands or, or you know, twisting your fingers. And, you know, sometimes just checking in with your overall, what are you doing with your body? Uh, uh, is kind of like the first kind of place to check where it's relatively easy. You get the evidence kind of directly. And like, so, and take a posture that maybe is like a meditation posture, a posture of balance, a posture that represents some confidence of being present here. Even if you don't feel that way, it's not insincere to adjust your posture, to take a posture that's balanced and alert and upright and and, and uh, not collapsed or not overly tense. And then within that posture, how's your breathing? Uh, are your bre- is your breathing tight? Is your breathing shallow? Is your breathing fast? How is your breathing with a situation? And sometimes uh, feeling the holding patterns in the breath, how we're holding our belly in or holding the chest or breathing only in the upper chest, for example. Um, it's uh, to start noticing that uh, and then uh, see if it's possible to relax in the breathing, to let the breathing settle in. And, uh, and sometimes uh, even small adjustments in breathing or maybe consciously taking a few long deep breaths or relaxing in the body as you breathe can, um, can be a big mood changer to really kind of settle us and balance uh, to some degree, relatively quickly. And um, so to check in with the breathing. And uh, if you check in with your breathing, sometimes it can be hard to do that because some of the difficult emotions and beliefs and ideas and concerns we have can take precedent, can seem so important that we don't don't want to take the time to check in to what's going on here. Some of us who are sheltered at home actually have a lot of time. And uh, it's not a time to sacrifice the self-care because we have all this swirling of ideas and agitation and worry. And sometimes just checking in with your breathing, simply taking some breath. And then mindfulness of the body. Uh, What is happening with your body internally? Where are the tensions and the holdings? What's activated? What's tight? What's hot? What's numb? What is, um, what is uh, moving in, in your body? Is there a lot of restlessness, a lot of physical agitation in the body? To really understand what's happening with the body is to understand this kind of, all these kinds of ways 
is to understand how the body is expressing our relationship to what's happening in the world. And to sit in (coughs) meditation, for example, and tune in to all the different energies and sensations of the body as a check-in. Oh, that's what's happening. I I can't tell you how many times in my life that uh, I've been busy doing something, and then it occurred to me to check into my body. And only then that I didn't realize my shoulders were tense. Only then I realized I was holding my belly. And sometimes it's been very easy. As soon as I recognize that, it's something releases, something relaxes. Um, it's not, it doesn't have to be dramatic, but it's definitely an improvement. Or sometimes I feel, by through the body, I, f- I, I notice that um, sometimes I'm, it's the early warning sign of certain emotions coming along or stress is there. Um, or sometimes I only know what I'm feeling emotionally if once I've discovered what's happening in my body and the, t- the sensations that are swirling there, the butterflies in the stomach maybe, the tensions in the, in the jaw that might be there. And um, so self-care by checking in with your body. There might be signals in the body that tell you what you should be doing. Maybe you should be moving. Maybe there's all this energy in the body that needs movement and needs to be dissipated and needs to be expressed. Uh, Movement exercises, uh, tai chi, yoga, qigong, dance. Um, For people who are cooped up at home for a lot, uh, maybe this is a time to dance um, with music, without music, just to get the body moving and shaking. When the body doesn't move enough, when we're holding ourselves still too long, uh, a lot of inner things kind of get bottlenecked and, and, uh, and, and uh, repressed or the pressure builds inside. And it's a lot easier to handle some difficult emotions if we give movement to the emotions. So if we're afraid, uh, move the fear. Express in your body what that fear wants to do. And uh, if you're angry, express it physically a little bit. And not, not to hurt anyone or not to, you know, throw plates across the room, but, um, but kind of just kind of like, almost like you're dancing it, like you're choreographing what you're feeling. Um, it gives a freedom and looseness and a little bit of healthy distance from some of these difficult emotions we have. So feel what's going on in the body and give it expression sometimes. It can be very helpful. <clears throat> and then the third <clears throat> area, <clears throat> let's see, So then the third area is emotions. We've kind of already began talking about it. But um, this is a time to really tune in to what's going on emotionally, even if it's subtle. The subtle emotions that are chronic and continuous have a huge impact on, our, on ourselves and our being. Notice how we relate to our emotions. If we're angry, if we're afraid, if we're sad, if we're happy, if we feel peaceful, when do we feel peaceful? Uh, uh, our emotional life does not have to be completely out of our control. We don't have to be just the recipient or the victims of whatever emotions we have. We can uh, practice with it through mindfulness. And to bring careful attention to emotions changes the nature of the emotions. Um, you. Uh, uh, because a, when you bring awareness to an emotion, really step back and get the bigger view and really kind of mindfully aware of it, um, then we're uh, less entangled with it. We're less fueling it and feeding it. 
And that begins to change it. Emotions that get fed, um, you know, get perpetuated, in a certain, usually in a, in a not so useful way. Even uh, happy emotions, if we're too involved with them and feeding them a certain way or, or um, pushing them a little bit, they go a little bit a kilter, a little bit quite not quite right. So how to kind of open to them and feel them and allow them to be there. And in doing that, uh, it be healing and, and uh, harmonizing, brings us to homeostasis, calms things down. Um, so we can have calm fear, calm distress, <laughs> calm stress, calm um, happiness, you know, whatever. It's possible to be calm in the middle of these things. So to uh, check in with ourselves emotionally, what, need, what emotionally do we need to do? What needs our attention? What needs our care? And as I said earlier, we could offer a lot more care to the world if we've cared for ourselves first. And one of the ways is through our emotions. And um, be, so we can be very conscious of what our emotions are so that we're not acting out of them <clears throat> in unskillful ways. If the emotion kind of is pushing us to act, then uh, maybe we don't act so consciously or knowingly or intentionally to, uh, from the best places inside of us. And then uh, to be careful to check in with ourselves, what's going on in our minds? What kind of beliefs do we are operating under? What kind of thoughts do we have? What are the flavor of our thoughts? What are the, what's the background mood of how we think? Because uh, the mood of our thinking is like a filter by which we think and how we think and the things we think. If we're, the mood of our thoughts is fear, the mood of our thoughts is aversion, if the mood of our thoughts is, is harshness and anger, that tends to uh, reinforce discomfort, reinforce an unhealthy way of thinking. To look at the kind of beliefs we keep, what we keep thinking and believing, if you're, when you're following the news, listening to news, reading the news, uh, take a little bit of time after learning the news to notice what now you believe. Because it's, generally people will take in news and have an opinion about what they read, absorb an opinion of what they read in the news, um, go along with the mood or the conclusion that the whoever's thing you've read is. But if you take time, take, take do mindful time and see what just happened to me cognitively? What just happened to me as I read this? Do I now have a new belief? Do I now have a new um, way of thinking? Am I interpreting this through a certain lens? Uh, is it, um, am I jumped on the latest solution and holding on for, for hope and this is it because of the way that person spoke so confidently? Who was the person who wrote or spoke about this? There's a whole way of, of a wise way of critical thinking, of careful thought about what we're doing in the mind, what our thinking is about and how we think, um, and uh, our relationship to our thoughts. Uh, do we believe our thoughts? Do we think we are our thoughts? Are, are we so enmeshed in our thoughts that whatever we think, of course, is true because we are one and the same as our thoughts. To practice mindfulness is to realize that our thoughts are not the sum total of who we are. 
They're not the center of who we are. They're not the definition of who we are. It's quite phenomenal to be mindful of thinking and just see think thoughts, just thoughts, almost as if, sometimes, as if they're not yours at all. They just arise and they pass. We don't have to latch on to them. So there's a whole way of checking in with ourselves, with our thoughts, or, you know, and being aware of it. And, and if we find ourselves too entangled and too gripped by our thoughts, it's probably a good time to learn to relax deeply. And one way to relax deeply is to go through these four, these four different areas of mindfulness, or five, awareness of posture, awareness of breathing, awareness of the body and of emotions. Can any of these be softened and relaxed? Can any of these be somehow settled so that uh, when they're more settled, then there tends to be not so much of a grip or, or a compulsion to think so insistently. So these are some ways to do self-care. Someone who has learned to do this can do this very quickly. And it's almost like second nature after a while. We go around and we're checking in and feeling and knowing what's going on. And then the same thing can happen when we're caring for other people. We care for other people through our posture, through our breathing is affected by the care of others. Our bodies affected, our emotions are affected, our thoughts are affected. And to maintain some contact with ourselves and self-awareness. I think a, a nice kind of guideline for how to care for the world, how to do things for others, um, even no matter how intense it has to be, maybe even the more intense it is, the more useful this guideline is. And that is to keep 50% of the attention on the people, the person we're taking care of, and 50% of the attention on here and oneself on one's body, one's breathing, one's emotions, one's thoughts. And there's a way of doing that where it doesn't feel like we're separating from others, but actually to do it, to really be centered in this practice of mindfulness, there's a wonderful way in which we are caring and paying attention to what's happening here, and the boundary between self and other kind of disappears. It isn't so much that we're, well, it isn't so much that we're merging with others, that's not so useful, but we're clearly aware of what's happening here, but there's no sense of a contracted self around what we're paying attention to, what we're noticing here. And so it's more like we're transparent and open, and we're also very attentive to the other, so we can take care of them as well. And this kind of being with others, with the mindfulness centered here, in an open way, but centered in the situation where we still are aware of what's happening here, not selfishly, but almost because selfishness has disappeared. And so naturally the awareness is all-encompassing, goes around and includes both self and others in the whole situation. I think of mindfulness uh, as, um, when it's mature, as not being self-centered, but being uh, situation-centered. That we're really centered on the situation we're in, and in being centered in that situation, the mindfulness is 360 degrees, where we pay attention to ourselves and pay attention to what's outside of us. And, um, and, uh, and just it's all equally valid and equally important for our attention. And I found in situations of great challenges that I actually work wiser and better when uh, I can manage this idea of about 50-50 for the attention inside and out. 
So, um, um, I was very touched by uh, a, a passage that's been going around now. Probably, maybe many of you have seen it, maybe many times. Um, the first time I read it or saw it was it just said that it came from an unknown neighbor. The second time I saw it, someone, uh, thank you for, uh, for someone who sent me a beautiful uh video from the made by the Belfast Northern Ireland Fire Department where uh, beautiful scenes of the town of people what's going on right now in Belfast around um, sheltering at home and then someone else sent another saying it uh, it was originally composed by a man named Paul Williams so maybe that's the case but it's a beautiful I think it was meant for the world When you go out and see the empty streets, the empty stadiums, the empty train platforms, don't say to yourself, it looks like the end of the world. What you are seeing is love and action. What you're seeing in that negative space is how much we care for each other for our grandparents, for our immune-compromised brothers and sisters, for people we will never meet. People will lose their jobs over this. Some will lose their businesses. And some will lose their lives. All the more reason to take a moment when you're out on your walk, or on your way to the store, or just watching the news, to look into the emptiness and marvel at all that love. Let it fill you and sustain you. It isn't the end of the world. It's the most remarkable act of global solidarity we may ever witness. We are in this together. The world, our societies, will get through it working together. Not everyone will get to the other side. But let's do this together. Let's support each other. Let's love each other. Let's care about each other as much as we care about ourselves. Let's not be overly focused on our own situation. Remember that as you take care of yourself in this environment, it's the same behavior of much of it, like sheltering at home, in caring for the world around you. Now that we've all been asked to wear face masks in public, the face masks are not to protect you the, uh, from yourself. That your face mask is not protecting you. Your face mask is, is you protecting others. And when they wear their face mask, they're protecting you. And what a fantastic what a thing this represents that each of us is caring for the other by wearing these masks. This is love. This is care. May it be that we appreciate the solidarity, the care, the attention. May we appreciate the medical profession that's working so hard to help. May we appreciate the people in the grocery store, the workers in the grocery store who are keeping the food available and stocked and in some ways also um, risking their own lives by helping and supporting. May we appreciate all that's happening 
And in seeing this appreciation of what is good right now and supportive, that uh, we sit laying down the seeds, the foundation, for the beginning of a new world. This is not the end of the world. I like to see it. This is the beginning. And may we create the foundation for a caring and loving and, and, a, and a world in which we really care for ourselves and see ourselves as a global family. May we all care for ourselves. May we all care for others. May we all care for the whole world. And may it begin by the self-care that mindfulness brings us. Thank you all very much for being here and I appreciate it so much to have the chance to share and talk and, and to share my love and my um, uh, wonderful opportunity I have to, to be in touch with so many of you and I don't take it for granted. I value it very much and may the goodness of our practice together spread from each of us out into the world around us. May this period of time we've had together now be something that spreads goodness out across the globe. Thank you all very much.